Good afternoon, and welcome to the Chipotle Mexican Grill Second Quarter 2020 Results Conference Call. All participants will be in listen-only mode. Should you need assistance, please signal a conference specialist by pressing the star key followed by zero. After today's presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To ask a question, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. Please note, this event is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to Ashish Kohli, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Hello everyone, and welcome to our second quarter 2020 earnings call. By now, you should have access to our earnings press release. If not, it may be found on our investor relations website at ir.chipotle.com. I will begin by reminding you that certain statements and projections made in this presentation about our future business and financial results constitute forward-looking statements. These statements are based on management's current business and market expectations, and our actual results could differ materially from those projected in the forward-looking statements. Please see the risk factors contained in our annual report on Form 10-K and in our Form 10-Qs for a discussion of risks that may cause our actual results to vary from these forward-looking statements. Our discussion today will include non-GAAP financial measures. A reconciliation to GAAP measures can be found via the link included on the presentation page within the Investor Relations section of our website. We will start today's call with prepared remarks from Brian Nickel, our Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Jack Hartung, Chief Financial Officer, after which we will take your questions. Our entire executive leadership team is available during the Q&A session. And with that, I'd like to turn the call over to Brian. Thanks, Ashish, and good afternoon, everyone. Since our last earnings call, the world has continued to face unprecedented challenges with regard to health, economic, and social issues. However, I'm so proud of our employees, those in the field managing and running our restaurants, our support center staff who are working remotely, as well as our supply partners for coming together to continue to provide our safe, delicious, high-quality food made from real ingredients. As a result, Chipotle is successfully delivering on its commitment to help cultivate a better world for our employees, guests, farmers, communities, and shareholders. Today, I want to focus my discussion on three key topics. First, our efforts to take care of our people and guests as restaurants reopen for in-room dining. Second, provide details on our improving comp trends. And third, highlight how we've built an operating model that's designed to generate strong performance in a wide variety of environments such that we can win today while we create a bright future. As I've mentioned previously, the health and well-being of our employees and guests has always been and will continue to be our top priority. Given our strong financial position, we are able to make investments in our people and the Chipotle business, which are not only helping us manage through this crisis, but set us up for a strong recovery and future success. Our top priorities for the rest of the year include safely running our restaurants and reopening dining rooms, using best practices to support alternate restaurant support center working arrangements, ensuring supply chain consistency, and strengthening our digital ecosystem. Within our restaurants, we have taken a number of steps to enhance our robust food safety and wellness protocols, including the creation of the steward role, which is focused on sanitization in high-touch and high-traffic areas, providing masks for all employees, and having a tamper-evident packaging seal for all digital orders. We are also delighted to see many of our guests doing their part by wearing masks, 
socially distancing, and where appropriate, leaving instructions in our app and online to request contactless deliveries and carryouts. These initiatives give our employees and guests confidence that Chipotle remains steadfast in our commitment to keeping them safe, especially now that the dining rooms are starting to reopen. As of last week, about 30 restaurants remain fully closed, and these are mainly inside malls and shopping centers. We began to open dine-in capabilities in the middle of May and currently have about 85% of our restaurants offering limited in-restaurant and or patio dining, with the remaining being open for to-go services, which includes delivery, order ahead, and pickup, and coming into the restaurant and ordering a meal that is taken then off-premise. Encouragingly, since sales troughed in late March, we've been able to retain 70 to 80% of our digital sales gains while recovering 40 to 50% of our in-store sales. This supports our thesis that digital tends to be highly sticky and was a key factor in helping improve our sales performance as the quarter progressed. Our Q2 comp was down 9.8%, which includes a 1.9% headwind from closed restaurants. Our restaurant level margins were 12.2% and adjusted diluted EPS was 40 cents, down 90% year over year. In terms of monthly comp cadence, April was down 24%, with May being down 7%, and then June showing further progress to finish up 2%. July comps continue to improve and are up 6.4% month-to-date, including about a 1.4% positive impact from the July 4th weekend and about a 2.7% negative impact due to underperforming restaurants in the Northeast and international markets, as well as restaurant closures due to COVID-19. And keep in mind, we are comparing against a nearly 10% positive comp in July of 2019. Overall, these trends highlight that despite these unprecedented conditions, our five key strategies continue to resonate with guests and position us for success in the near term, as well as giving us more confidence in doubling our restaurant base while ultimately expanding AUVs and margins above $2.5 million and 25% respectively. Let me spend the rest of my time providing a brief update on each of these strategies which are making the brand visible and loved, creating innovations utilizing a stage gate process, leveraging our digital make line to expand access and convenience, engaging with customers through our loyalty program, and running successful restaurants with a strong culture that provides great food, hospitality, throughput, and economics. To begin with, our marketing team has been remarkably agile and proactive during the crisis by quickly pivoting from traditional television advertising to creative social and digital media to help keep the Chipotle brand relevant and drive awareness of our digital capabilities. Whether it be healthcare heroes to support frontline workers, lifestyle bowls to keep people healthy while working from home, or virtual events such as proms, concerts, e-gaming tournaments, and a virtual farmer's market, these initiatives are helping support our customers, suppliers, and communities in a time of need. These efforts continue to drive awareness, expand access, and grow sales by driving culture, driving difference, and ultimately driving a purchase. In conjunction with marketing, our StageGate process is a key enabler to develop innovation that leads food culture and meets guest requests. Over the last 18 months, Lifestyle Bold, Carne Asada, Super Green Salad Mix, and Queso Blanco were all successfully validated by this process. Despite less marketing support than initially planned, our new Queso, which uses 13 real ingredients and has just the right spice level and texture, has been a hit with guests. Our current attach rate of high teens is roughly 70% higher than with the previous queso. The latest innovation to make it through the stage gate process and upgrading an existing item is a suite of tractor beverages. These are organic, non-GMO, 
less sugary, and align well with our food with integrity ethos. We receive terrific customer feedback and expect these to help improve our drink incidents moving forward. While COVID, of course, has delayed testing of menu items over the past few months, the pipeline of potential new options continues to build. Now that regions are starting to reopen, we anticipate being able to test new items again, which will allow us to deliver on our goal of rolling out one to two new menu items on average per year. To give you a couple of examples, we recently launched a pilot to test cilantro, lime, cauliflower, rice, and began offering quesadillas as a digital-only entree, which we believe can overcome the throughput challenge presented on the front line. These menu items are in various markets where we are gaining valuable guest and operational feedback. We will update you on our progress of all potential new menu items as they move through our stage gate process. Next, our digital platform has been a big beneficiary of the current environment. Quarter two digital sales grew 216% year over year to $829 million, which is by far our highest ever quarterly level and represented 61% of sales. Working from home, Driving increased digital awareness via advertising, new delivery partnerships with Uber Eats and Grubhub, as well as expanding our digital capabilities into Canada, are attracting new customers and helping reduce friction while increasing convenient access. Notably, partnering with all the major third-party delivery aggregators has led to an increase in orders, a reduction in delivery time and cancellations, and an improvement in overall customer ratings. As you know, all digital orders from Chipotle are fulfilled via our digital kitchens which are comprised of a dedicated make line and operated by a special team in nearly all Chipotle locations. Recent digital investments such as Pepper, our concierge bot on Facebook Messenger, group ordering, and complete customization are further optimizing a seamless ordering experience for our guests. Even with in-restaurant dining opening back up, we continue to see strong digital sales momentum in July with a mix of nearly 50%. Breaking this down further shows that a little more than half is coming from order ahead and pickup transactions, while the remainder is coming from delivery. Both channels continue to perform well, but we are pleased that order ahead is now our fastest grower, due partly to being less promotional on delivery, partly to more customers realizing the value of a pickup transaction, as there are no delivery fees, and to a lesser extent, more Chipotle's. With free delivery promotions likely to be less frequent moving forward, and us pivoting more aggressively toward Chipotle's, we are optimistic that the order ahead transaction will continue to be a big driver of future growth, which should benefit both sales and margins. Another element that has seen a meaningful acceleration over the past few months is our rewards program, which now has nearly 15 million enrolled members. What an amazing accomplishment considering this program was launched only 15 months ago. The rate of enrollment has roughly doubled during the COVID crisis as customers flock to Chipotle's digital ordering channels. Today, the question I hear most frequently is how are we going to benefit from this? Interestingly, even in the early stages of utilizing the customer data, we are seeing a significantly higher frequency of transactions from members versus non-members. It's early days, but we are starting to leverage this growing install base with personalized promotions to incent behaviors, especially considering more than 70% of current digital orders are from our members. We're also using this tool to help make our digital platform stickier by re-engaging customers if their usage drops. As we continue to enhance our CRM journeys, we are seeing incremental transactions across all frequency bands, not only as a result of the offers, but also from our brand, safety, and purpose-driven messaging. We will continue to leverage our data over the second half of this year and expect loyalty to become a bigger tailwind over time as our install base expands and we increase our level of sophistication with this large base of consumers. 
Driving more people to Chipotle is only part of the equation. The other key is to ensure great restaurant operations so that guests have an enjoyable experience and continue to come back. As I visit our restaurants, it's apparent that the investments we are making in our people are paying off. As our food tastes great, employee retention continues to stabilize, and service levels are improving. Not only is this benefiting us currently, but these factors should position us well to drive higher throughput post-COVID, as in restaurant demand returns to a more normal level. What has always attracted me to Chipotle, and what I believe is a key point of differentiation, is our unique purpose of cultivating a better world, and a culture that has always been committed to fostering a diverse, inclusive, and safe environment where everyone can belong and have the opportunity to build personal and professional success and make a positive difference in their family and communities. This isn't always easy, especially given the unrest and uncertainty at the moment, but we must do what is right, even when it's hard. More recently, Chipotle has taken several actions to help drive out inequality and injustice, including listening sessions with our employees, financial contributions to organizations advocating against systemic racism, and forming a multicultural employee resource group. The bottom line is that we're all in this together, and when we do our part, we can make a difference to our employees, our food, our business practices, and in our communities. Before I conclude, I want to publicly welcome our two new directors, Mary Winston and Greg Engels. Both bring excellent experience to our board and will be valuable assets for Chipotle. Finally, I want to thank all of our employees for delivering excellent guest experiences and supporting our restaurants and each other. Their belief in our purpose, commitment to living our values, and hard work is what's pulled us through what we hope is the worst of the COVID crisis. By channeling our energy into programs and initiatives that help us become a stronger team, innovate, and grow our business, I believe we will finish 2020 with good momentum and be well positioned for the long run. With that, here's Jack to walk you through the financials. Thanks, and good afternoon, everyone. Before discussing our second quarter results, I also must recognize and thank our incredible teams I've personally been inspired to watch everyone come together to face our current challenges, embracing new ways of working, and decisively taking actions to safely serve our guests in the face of unprecedented conditions. From our operators doing a tremendous job managing the restaurants and providing guests a delicious, customized meal, our supply chain diligently working with our partners to ensure there are no major disruptions, and our support teams um, and development teams working virtually to keep the business moving forward, I could not be prouder to be part of this team. Looking at our Q2 performance, while the comp was down 9.8% for the quarter, it improved sequentially every month. We're pleased to see this progress continue into July. Relative to the pre-COVID environment, in-store ordering currently is down around 37%, while order ahead is up 140% and delivery is up 125%. We're also encouraged by the fact that there is a higher incidence of new customers, the majority coming via the digital platform, making their second purchase in the same month and spending more than before. This is another example of our digital access being sticky, resulting in our July today digital mix being nearly 50% of sales. Restaurant level margin for the quarter of 12.2% was negatively impacted by a significant number of investments, including promotions to acquire digital customers, through bonuses, and assistance pay, along with costs related to COVID, as well as higher supply chain expenses, most notably the spike in beef prices that have since eased somewhat since the peak in May. During the quarter, marketing and promo costs were elevated at 5% of sales due to free delivery. With this promotion behind us, we expect marketing spend to normalize during the second half of 2020 towards our typical target of 3%. While the investments in our people to acquire and to acquire digital customers put pressure on our margins in the quarter, we're confident that these were the right investments to make and will make our brand and our culture much stronger over time. 
If you consider the month of June, where our comp turned slightly positive, and we're trending a little over $2.2 million AUV run rate, restaurant-level margin was roughly 20%. The gap relative to the theoretical 22% margin we would expect at this sales level is primarily the impact of higher delivery mix and partially the result of the temporary costs I just mentioned, including higher beef costs. Similar to what many of our peers are already doing, we're about to experiment with delivery menu prices as a way to potentially help offset this headwind and fully capture the margins expected at this volume. As Brian mentioned, we believe our powerful and durable economic model remains very much intact. In fact, our performance through the COVID crisis, particularly the strength of our digital business, is giving us confidence in hitting the $2.5 million AUV mark earlier than we previously expected. We continue to expect margins of around 25% at that sales level. At the same time, we're aware that the uncertainty surrounding the coronavirus pandemic makes it difficult to predict the near-term and medium-term impact, and therefore we are not providing fiscal 2020 comp guidance. That being said, Q3 margins in EPS will likely remain bumpy as we continue to make further investments in our people, our business, and our communities. Specific to the margin, we expect it to be in the high teens based on continued price volatility in a few ingredients, including avocados, as we transition from Peruvian to Mexican fruit, as well as higher labor costs given the reopening of our dining rooms. However, if we see no major COVID-related market regression in the fall, we expect our sales to continue building, which could lead to Q4 being the first quarter where margins and earnings begin to normalize. And this should set, help set us up for a successful 2021. We ended Q2 with $935 million in cash, restricted cash, and short-term investments, and no debt, which gives us a strong balance sheet, along with a $600 million untapped credit facility with which to continue to navigate the crisis. Our team remains focused on reducing non-essential controllable costs and judiciously spending on return-generating projects to preserve liquidity. I'm pleased to report that we generate a positive free cash flow in the second quarter, despite essentially a normal level of, cap, of growth CapEx investment, which we believe is the right thing to do and will pay off in the long term. Furthermore, assuming the comp improvement we are seeing continues, that gives us greater confidence in our potential to generate positive cash flow for the rest of this year, which will help support ongoing strategic investments. But we didn't buy back any stock in Q2 in order to preserve cash, and we likely won't over the foreseeable future. We are open to revisiting the program and returning excess cash to shareholders once the environment stabilizes. During the second quarter, we're delighted to have opened 37 new restaurants, with 21 having a Chipotle. We recently announced a milestone with the opening of our 100th Chipotle, and these formats continue to perform very well and have a higher overall digital mix and in recent weeks is approaching 60%, with about two-thirds being from the higher margin order ahead and pickup. Also, if you look at the sales of our Chipotle cohort, of the 13 Chipotle that are in our comp phase and therefore open well before COVID, sales are over 10% higher than the non-Chipotle comp restaurants from the same opening period, while the more recent openings during COVID are actually 30% higher. We recently relocated three restaurants to add a Chipotle, and we remodeled three, three more and all are seeing high, higher sales so far. These great results are fueling our desire to open more than 60% of new restaurants with a Chipotle this year, with the goal of exceeding 70% in 2021. Opening more Chipotle will enhance customer access and convenience, as well as increase new restaurant sales, margins, and returns. Given factors out of our control, there was a pause in new ground breaks during April, but we started construction again as soon as regions began reopening. 
while we continue to build new units currently and expect to have a sequentially higher number of openings in Q3, there remains uncertainty around a potential spike in COVID cases in the fall, which makes it difficult to offer 2020 new restaurant opening guidance at this time. However, we remain confident in the long-term opportunity to more than double the number of Chipotle restaurants in the U.S. And in fact, our strong financial position, along with less competition for high-quality sites as other businesses pull back, is allowing us to build a robust new unit development pipeline. As a result, we expect to see an acceleration in the number of new units open in 2021. In closing, despite uncertainty about the near-term impact of COVID, we're very excited about our future given the strength of our brand, our talented employees, a solid liquidity position, and the resiliency of our economic model. And with that, we're happy to take your questions. We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. Our first question comes from David Tarantino with Baird. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Um, congratulations on turning the business so quickly. Um, Brian, I have a question about some of the new customers that you think you've acquired uh, since the start of the pandemic. I was wondering if you could perhaps give us a sense of how big of a contribution to sales that new customer layer has brought. And then secondly, I guess, what is your, your tactic or plan to try to keep those folks in the fold as you move forward. Thanks. Sure. Yeah, thanks, David. So, <clears throat> you know, the uh, bulk of our digital customers that we've gained, uh, as we mentioned in our comments, a lot of them are new customers to the business. And obviously, since dining rooms have not reopened, uh, they have yet to experience the business, or I should say dining rooms reopened fully, right? Um, They've yet to experience the business from that access point. Um, the good news is because so many of these new customers came through our digital business, the bulk of them also signed up for our rewards program. And so um, we've created these journeys that are targeted to, you know, new customers, uh, existing customers, whether they're light, medium, or heavy. And what we're seeing already with these journeys is we do have the ability to influence behaviors, whether it's getting another occasion, uh, or getting them to add on to an occasion um, that they're already uh, doing with us. So um, what I would tell you is a lot of the digital growth came from new customers. Uh, the thing that's nice about that is they're in our rewards program, a lot of them. And what we're seeing already is really great progress on using the data to then influence their behavior going forward. Got it. Makes sense. And maybe I'll try a slightly different angle. So I think you mentioned your your dine-in business um, or traffic was down uh, 37% or running down 37%. Um, first, can you clarify, was that for the quarter or for the, I guess, the quarter-to-day period in July? And then, I guess, what, what I guess, percentage of that number do you think is people that um, that maybe you have shifted into the digital channel versus versus not? Yeah, I mean, one of the things to keep in mind, David, is our uh, entrees per transaction are um, significantly up. So we've not seen, you know, as you think about our sales performance, 
um, we still have kind of the same gap that we historically have had on, call it check and number of entrees, if you use entrees as a transaction proxy. Um, and so what we're definitely seeing is people are slowly but surely returning to the dining room, but the bulk of what we're seeing is, you know, all the huge gains are in, I would say, uh, more entrees per transaction uh, coming from our digital business. Um, so, you know, the in-store ordering, obviously we only have reclaimed about 40 to 50% of that business. And, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of the opportunity still will be reclaiming that in-store business as people get more confidence to come back into the restaurants. Uh, but at the same token, um, you know, what we're seeing is a nice increase on entrees per transaction order with the digital business. So I think some of the customers that have shifted from in-store to digital, what we've seen is their tickets have gotten bigger because they're ordering as groups. Um, so that helps explain you know, why we're down in the dining room um, because you just don't have the same occasions that you used to have with people you know, driving to work and having that lunch individual occasion. Um, but we are picking up the entrees, I think, through our digital business is the way, is the way to think about it. So, I think we mentioned in the script, right, order ahead is up like 140%, delivery is up 125%, and then obviously as we continue to get the dining rooms operating closer to full capacity, I think we'll continue to make progress on the uh, transactions that occur in the restaurant as well. Makes sense. Thank you very much. Yep. The next question is from Peter Saleh with BTIG. Please go ahead. Great, thanks. Uh, I, I want to ask about the uh, Queso Blanco. I think you guys had indicated that uh, you saw a pretty substantial high teens attach uh, mixed with that. Can you just talk about what you did differently there and how you can apply some of those learnings to maybe some of the new products you plan to launch uh, over the course of the year? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, for starters, the Queso Blanco, I think, was a huge improvement over uh, the prior Queso. Um, and then I think what the team did a really nice job of doing was doing the marketing to those that were already Queso users, as well as people that um, you know, may have tried it in the past but have not um, purchased it in a long time. And so you know, I think the team did a great job of using our data uh, to do very targeted marketing. And then the advertising, I think that they ran on a more broad scale basis, did a nice job of bringing into life uh, what was different about this queso. Um, and, you know, look, the, the learnings that we've gotten with using our data to drive attachment, um, I think is something we'll be able to use with beverages, we'll continue to use, uh, frankly, uh, with all sorts of programs coming down the pike. So uh, we feel really good about how Queso Blanco has performed, uh, and I'm also really proud of what we've learned in how we can use this database uh, to better inform uh, customers, what's available and what's right for them, so that we get a better attachment um, in each ticket. Thanks, very helpful. Uh, just a question on the development going forward. I think in the past, one of the governors on development and growing, going faster has been just finding enough people. I think the environment was such that um, it was tough to find enough. Uh, employees. Uh, do you feel like that has changed for you? I know capital is not an issue. It sounds like real estate's not the issue. So uh, do you have any restraints on finding enough people to go faster on the development side? 
No, I would say it's it's two things on the people. Uh, one was having access to hire the additional people, and then two was having, I think, the people culture and capabilities in place that when we brought these people on, they quickly could be trained and learn the Chipotle uh, way of executing our business. And I think Scott and our uh, HR leaders, you know, Marisa and all the folks in the field have done a phenomenal job of doing a really good job of recruiting the right people. Uh, and then when we recruit them, we're able to train them so that they're ready to go to open a new restaurant or take over a restaurant in the event, you know, we need to move a, a, an apprentice or a manager to a new restaurant. So we're feeling like we got all the components um, to really continue to have success with opening new restaurants, access to really good people, the right people capability in the operating model for these people to get trained and ready to roll. And then as you mentioned, uh, you know, the returns continue to be really, really strong because we're able to have access to really good real estate and then we've got, um, you know, all the different access points, whether it's Chipotle to just a traditional Chipotle. All right. Thank you very much and congrats on the quarter. Thank you. The next question is from Catherine Fogarty with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you. Uh, great. Thank you. Um, the uh, quesadilla being offered as a digital-only item in test, um, can you walk through maybe the learnings of prior StageGate uh, test, maybe what you saw with carne asada when you launched it initially as digital-only, um, that give you confidence that this digital-only strategy will work? Um, and kind of in that same vein, are there other items or even other day parts now that you are committed to kind of digital-only offerings that might fit well um, here? Has, has that expanded or changed the potential for menu innovation going forward? Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for the question. Yeah, so one of the things that's been a nice benefit of all the growth in our digital businesses, we now have scale where, you know, we're doing over a million dollars of business um, off this digital make line, right? Um, and we've got some restaurants doing well beyond that. And what we have found is, um, you know, we can have success uh, providing digital-only menu items. So we started, we kind of dipped our toe in the water when we did lifestyle bowls, and uh, we've kept that going. And what we've seen in early days is people are willing uh, to do the app slash digital experience in order to have access to a quesadilla. Um, and, you know, we feel really good about what we've seen in the early days of the test that we've got going. Uh, obviously, we want to finish the test out. Um, but, you know, what I would tell you is the things we've learned in the StageGate process was just that, which is, you know, a huge improvement over making a quesadilla on the front line with our new approach. But, you know, once we started to get meaningful scale, we realized, you know what, we don't even need to put that challenge in front of our operators on the front line because we can run it through this digital business and everybody gets a better experience. The team member has a better experience in the restaurant. The customer gets a better experience from a speed and having the product ready to go when they show up. Uh, and then the product itself, I think you might have heard me talk about this, with our digital business, you know, you kind of make your reservation for when you're going to get your quesadilla. I mean, it is, you know, Chipotle's food is really good. Uh, and this quesadilla is really good, but when it's really hot and it's right there when you reserve your time, it's extraordinary. So we feel like it's hitting on all the marks you would want, you know, better operational experience, better experience for the customer, uh, arguably better food experience, and then uh, operationally, you know, it plays really well in our throughput um, initiative so that folks on the front line can really 
continue to stay focused on speed, and then our digital make line is really focused on being on time and accurate. So we're feeling really bullish. The good news is this does open the door for additional innovation. And, uh, you know, Chris and the team are working through what are things we could be doing um, that are dedicated to the digital make line. Uh, and, you know, you'll see us, you know, continue to test those in our stage gate process. While we still do things like cauliflower rice, which frankly are going to be both on the front line and the digital make line. Um, so we're feeling, we're feeling very optimistic about what our ability is going to be to your point, to open kind of that innovation spectrum using the digital make line, whether it's day parts or menu, uh, while we can protect the integrity of our throughput model on that front line. Great, thank you. Yeah. The next question is from Nicole Miller with Piper Sandler. Please go ahead. Thank you, good afternoon. Uh, could you uh, dig in a little bit to direct and indirect, so I understand digital, you know, order heads up 140%, deliveries up 125. If you isolate delivery, um, how able are you to keep the consumers coming directly to your app? And I imagine, you know, clearly that changes from month to month, quarter to quarter, um, but how do you keep that in balance, please? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, right now it's pretty evenly split between marketplace and our own app experience. And the thing that uh, I think you've seen us done is over time, we can run very targeted um, efforts within our app into our rewards customers, you know, to incentivize them to stay within our app for that delivery occasion. The thing we also like about our, um, you know, frankly, our delivery app execution is we can control more of the variables on, you know, delivery fees uh, as well as menu prices so that we can also incentivize uh, behaviors towards our app um, as well. So, you know, and then obviously the big differentiator is you continue to get rewards points when you do delivery through our app versus using a third party. Um, so we're, we're feeling really good about the growth that we've seen in our white label business and, uh, you know, continues to be an access point that, uh, you know, we're going to continue to drive because it's, it does still appear to be a unique occasion. That's very helpful. I'll just ask the second and last question, and admittedly, it's as much about Chipotle as it is trying to understand the consumer um, behavior at a very high level. When you think about July, um, there's many reasons for your rebound. I just want to understand what would you be willing to tell us about week to week or region to region? So in big restaurant geographies, there's less mobility. I know California would be the most obvious. I'm very, um, very curious to understand, you know, if the customer maybe doesn't go back into a dining room, that's understood. But I'm wondering if that drives them more and more to Chipotle or, or a drive-through in general and more and more, more and more to digital. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, what we've seen, Nicole, is the regions that opened um, the earliest, I would say we've made the most gains in, um, you know, comp. And, the thing that has been really promising is the digital business has remained sticky even while we've seen dining room business uh, make a comeback, okay? And I think we've mentioned this, our Chipotle's, you know, we just now have 100 of them uh, or just over 100. Um, you know, we have seen that Chipotle business stay robust and outperform, you know, our system. And uh, I think there is a consumer behavior where even if, they want, you know, even if they're going into the dining room, 
they're still taking it for takeout. They're not sitting down and eating, at least uh, what we're seeing to date. It's come in, get your food, and go for the most part. Uh, and, you know, digital is still, I think, perceived as even more convenient than coming in, building it, and then going. Um, so I think you're going to continue to see that. And, you know, obviously California rolled back some of the in-dining room experience. Um, so, you know, we quickly pivoted to just relying more heavily on our order ahead business, which, you know, fortunately Chipotle has those access points where we can pivot depending on what happens state by state, municipality by municipality. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that we don't have to go backwards before we can go forward on this proposition, but I think we're positioned nicely to be able to weather whatever way we need to bob in order to get through the next uh, couple months. Great. Thank you so much. The next question is from Sarah Senator with Bernstein. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you very much. Um, I wanted to just follow up on um, ask questions about the de delivery, the decision to kind of pull back on promotions um, and anything you might be seeing there early on. Um, just. In, you know, it's the easiest way to think about it that, you know, now order ahead is growing, you know, 20 percent percentage points faster than delivery, and that's how we should think about the elasticity, you know, or is that not really the full weight of that, um, you know, and are you seeing those sales shift to order ahead, you know, so, so kind of from your lowest margin sales to your highest margin, um, just any kind of color. And on that uh, front, you know, um, the implication is that that should be helpful for margins. So I was just trying to sort of square that with Jack's guidance uh, for, you know, kind of high teens versus the 20% run rate that we saw, you know, when you were, uh, you know, kind of spending heavily behind, behind delivery. So just anything on the top line and then how to think about the implications for the margin. Yeah. So, hey, Jack, why don't I start and then I'll hand it over to you. Does that sound good? Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So obviously, you know, one of the things that occurred as soon as if we kind of rewind on the quarter, right, everything moved to off-premise and you had a huge just shift to delivery um, that over time, as we got people into delivery and into the digital business, they learned about the other access mode of order ahead and pickup. And so what I think people have discovered is, you know what, from a value proposition standpoint, you know, I can skip the delivery fee. I can skip, you know, some of the waiting uh, if I order ahead. So we've, we've heard from our consumers, as, as you look at the qualitative side of this, um, hey, look, the convenience of ordering ahead and picking up was something they discovered as a result of bringing them into our business through the delivery channel, which I, which I think is kind of surprising. I, I don't think people would realize that people would join the Chipotle digital system because they came in through the delivery occasion, we brought them into the system and then we gave them the experience of the order ahead. And what's been nice is we've seen that there are occasions where people want the convenience of delivery because I can't get to a Chipotle, but they also really value the ability to order ahead and go pick it up because it frankly puts them even in more control of the convenience that they want. Um, and, you know, look, they can avoid some fees, right? They don't have to pay delivery fees, uh, service fees, or what, what have you when you look at whether it's marketplace or white label. Um, and so what we've pivoted to now is we did put in the dollar delivery fee versus being free the whole time. And I do think some people view, you know, is it worth paying the delivery fee or should I go ahead and just hop in my car and 
pick it up. Uh, and luckily for us, we've made it very convenient for people to make that trade-off. With that said, the delivery occasion appears to be a very unique occasion that when people want to do it, they're willing to pay the delivery fee or um, you know, the added price associated with delivery. So we see them as working really well together, but uh, you know, over time, uh, we obviously want to migrate that delivery business to not just be an acquisition tool, but to also be you know, an occasion where uh, we don't mind the trade-off between you know, delivery or order ahead over time. Um, and I think that's what Jack was alluding to in his comments. So, Jack, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Brian. Um, yeah, Sarah, so, you know, when you look at, I talked about June being a pretty clean month. Our uh, margin was 20%. I think that gives an idea that when we normalize the P&L, we can bounce back. We're only 12% during the quarter, but the first uh, couple months of the quarter had big investments in terms of free delivery. We did start charging the dollar uh, you know, delivery. So we went from zero to a dollar in June, and that helped contribute uh, to the higher margin during that period. Uh, there's no question that our margin potential, you know, as we experiment with and we figure out which levers to pull with between delivery fees and the menu price with delivery, that we think there's more upward, uh, you know, potential uh, with that margin going from 20% and getting back to more like a 22 when we're at a $2.2 million uh, volume. But we're going to experiment in Q3. So I would call Q3 more of a learning quarter, not a recovery of the margin quarter. That's why I signaled that Q4 could be the first quarter that we actually see a more normalization, you know, of that, you know, of, of, of our overall margin. So, so we'll learn in Q3. We'll figure out what to do in Q4. And then also, um, you know, Q3 is going to be hit by avocados. We have to do that transition back to Mexican avocados. Um, and we're looking at potentially higher prices. Um, we're still picking up some of the higher price of beef, even though beef has – begun to normalize, that's going to hit us as well. So I just want the expectations in Q3 to be uh, there will be some bounce back on the 12%, but it's not going to stay at that 20%. And then we're going to looking ahead to Q4 and then next year, and everything that we're seeing, we have confidence that our margin potential um, is as intact as it's ever been. Okay, great. I, I just, if I can ask one housekeeping, um, you said that there's a 2.7% negative impact to come from the Northeast and international. Are we right in thinking the Northeast is about 20% of your stores and maybe a bit more than that in sales? Is that is that sort of the order of magnitude? You know, it's in, I, I would say, Sarah, it's in that maybe 15 to 20%. It's, it's one of eight regions. Um, and so it obviously was was hit the hardest. So, you know, I'd have to go back and check. 20% might be a little a little on the high side. Okay. Thank you. The next question is from John Glass with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks very much. I wanted to um, just go back to delivery as well. How incremental has the adding the extra incremental third-party delivery uh, uh, providers been to comp? How do, you, how do you measure that? Are they all providing the white label delivery service? You're just using one DoorDash for that service and really just relying on the marketplace. And, and Brian, I just want to also make sure I understood. You're saying 50% of sales in June are delivery, half of 50% are digital, half of that is delivery. So 25% of your sales now is delivery. Is that right? And what would that have compared to, say, pre-COVID? Yeah. So um, let me unpack that. Um, to answer your first question, we use uh, you know all the major uh, aggregators for the third-party delivery. We are only using DoorDash for our in-app white label delivery. Uh, and what we have seen is 
as we brought on, you know, Grubhub and Uber Eats, um, and you know, we, we obviously already had Postmates with DoorDash. Each time we brought on people, we have seen incremental customers come into the business uh, for the delivery channel. Uh, specifically, you know, we're watching this from delivery transactions, um, and you know, it's pretty consistent. I, I think we've heard over and over again, and from what we've done our analysis on, you know, there's 20 to 30 percent overlap with uh, some of the big players. So we definitely have seen a nice uptick in our delivery business. Then to answer your question on our digital business, you know, think of the digital business as, um, you know, roughly 50% of sales. And, you know, half of that or almost a little more than half is order ahead. Uh, and then within that other half that right now is delivery, think of that as another, like, call it 60-40 split of marketplace and white label um, is kind of the way to think about it. So, um, you know, and we've seen nice growth, I think, as we highlighted, in both the order ahead business and the delivery business. Thank you. And then as a, as a follow-up, you talked about the dine-in business being down. How many, what percentage of your store base is in urban cores that rely on that lunch business that probably doesn't exist in much lower fashion? How much headwind is that, and how much, therefore, could that come back as we go back to work over the next six, whatever months? Yeah, I think, it, you know, John, I think it's around 150, maybe a few more restaurants where they're in those really, you know, call it the dense urban uh, setting. Um, but I think in general, dining rooms will benefit um, as that lunch occasion comes back with people going back to work in a more normal pattern versus the heavy skew right now, which is the work from home environment. Thank you. Sure. The next question is from Jake Bartlett with SunTrust. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks for taking the questions. You know, my, my first is, is to try to – I want to better understand the, the performance of stores when they open um, dining rooms, um, you, know, where, you know, how much of an overall lift that is. Um, and then you mentioned that 85% of the stores have dining room or patio. Can you break that down to, to, to tell us you know, what percentage have the dining rooms open um, uh, just, just alone right now? Yeah, sure. So the last part of that's pretty. 70% are dining rooms, and then there's like 15% uh, that are patio only. Um, okay. And then your question on when the dining room opens, what type of lift do we see? It's a gradual um, build back. What we have seen to date on average is we've recaptured about 40 to 50% of that dining room business. Uh, but it's a gradual thing. You know, it's like every week goes by, um, I think consumer psyche starts to build with the idea of going back into the dining room. Uh, again, the, uh, the bulk of that is people end up still taking it off-premise to eat um, versus actually sitting down in the dining room. Because remember, even when we have these dining rooms open, in some cases we only have 25% of our seats available. Um, so, you know, it's very limited seating to sit in the dining room. Got it. And just to understand that, that better, um, you know, having such a kind of, it seems like there's a minimal impact of, of people sitting. So, so what, what's the big change in, in terms of the consumer behavior when, when you open up the dining room, you've already had people, you know, able to come in and, and order by standing in line. So, so I, I'm, I guess I'm a little confused as to why it would change the sales so much, yet it doesn't seem like, you know, the actual dining in is, 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 is very material. Yeah, I think it has more to do with the consumer psychology of, 
um, <clears throat> going to restaurants uh, versus doing it all from home, um, you know, or in your car, okay? Like, in, in even, I think I might have shared this with some of you in prior meetings, you know, I, as I've gone into the restaurants and talked to folks that are in the restaurant, you know, a lot of them are like, oh, you know, thank heavens you guys are open for me to sit down because I'm just tired of eating in my car or I'm tired of eating at home. Um, there is a consumer psychology to the idea that more things are open and therefore I'm more mobile and I'm out and about. So uh, that's what our research shows and, you know, as you talk to consumers, that's the feedback we get. Got it. And, and then real quick, just, you know, on, on pricing, and, and, and I was hoping you could provide what, I don't think you have, what, what um, traffic um, and overall check growth was. Um, and we also um, found some menu pricing um, recently taken in uh, markets like, like California. Um, if you could maybe confirm that or, or, and just talk about your strategy for, for taking menu price, um, you know, this year, I know in years past, it's been kind of concentrated over a month or two, um, you know, any, any color on your strategy for, for taking price uh, this year? Yeah, sure. So we, we've been very, you know, limited in our pricing um, because of just, I think, the uh, nature of the consumer psychology right now. But one thing we have done from a pricing standpoint is we've gotten very strategic with our partner at Fishbowl. And, you know, there are places like California where minimum wage moved. And accordingly, we did some pricing action to go along with some of the minimum wage movement. Um, so that might be what you're picking up. But it's very, and even that is not market-wide. It's very still strategically uh, executed, you know, on a restaurant-by-restaurant -restaurant basis. Uh, but I think that's what you're referencing is you probably saw some of the pricing moves in conjunction with recent minimum wage movement that were pretty significant minimum wage movements. Great. And, and then just the traffic in the chat? You know, we don't break yeah. that out. Um, go ahead, Jack. Sorry. Yeah. You know, I think Brian alluded to it earlier. The transaction has changed. The group size has changed uh, significantly, uh, both because people have moved to digital and digital is a, a higher group size, and then even within uh, the order in the restaurant, the group size has changed. And I think that's because instead of, uh, you know, the person working and going out to lunch, maybe with a group, but they're all paying themselves, um, now it's going to, um, you know, to the restaurant and then ordering for the family. So I think a better way to look at it is when we had the 9.8% negative comp during the quarter, if you look at just entrees, because an entree kind of lines up with a person, entrees were down about 15%. And what that suggests is there, there's a 5% effective lift in, in uh, you know, in, in the check. Um, and that would have come from a couple points from menu prices. Uh, we also saw a, a bigger incidence of uh, steak. People are buying steak more, and that is a higher price item. And then the attachment with queso. So I think that's the, the best way to think about it. Um, and I think, you know, as, as we go from a negative 10 into a, you know, positive comp situation, it's going to be a similar gap where people are still buying steak more. They're still buying queso. Um, and we still have the small menu price. So I think you're going to still see a kind of 3 4 5% gap between our sales and our transactions. I think that's probably the best way to think about it. Great. Thanks a lot. The next question is from Andrew Charles with Cowan. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you. Uh, Jack, I have a two-part question for you. Now that you're at 100 Chipotle locations, I'm curious what the early read has been on cannibalization or if you prefer sales transfer relative to what you see typically when you open a traditional store near an existing store. And, and then my follow-up is just now that you have line of sight to development plans through 2021 and 
you know, perhaps at this point, even visibility into 2022, although not finalized, are you able to extrapolate out or, or you know, express your desire for what mix of stores Chipotle will represent when you reach that milestone 5,000 5, U.S. location? Yeah, you know, Andrew, uh, thanks for the question. We're not seeing anything unusual in terms of impact when we open up a Chipotle versus another restaurant. I mean, you, you might see the impact that we expect to be a little higher, a little lower. It might be higher, but the volume is higher. You know, the, the, the volume in the Chipotle is higher. So nothing unusual or nothing concerning there whatsoever. Um, we do have internally uh, what we'd like to see over a, you know, call it a three- to five-year period. And, you know, it's not ready for us to disclose yet. But, you know, we're looking at individual markets, some of our oldest markets, and looking at, you know, we may not be opening up a lot of restaurants in our Denver, our Kansas City, some of the earliest markets. But we do have old restaurants there where you can look at relocations and rebuilds. In fact, you know, in my prepared comments, I mentioned that we did three remodels and added a Chipotle lane and three relocations uh, added, added a Chipotle lane. And the way I would think about that is we're doing some early tests, call it, you know, running it through the stage gate to see how these restaurants perform. And as they perform well, and the first six that we've done, you know, have come out of the box with a higher sales, um, we're going to look to add more relocations, you know, more remodels so that we can bring more Chipotle, not just through new stores, but through uh, these other approaches as well. And the good news is, um, you know, in this environment, our landlords are more willing to work with us, uh, you know, to do a remodel. And if they're not willing to work with us on a remodel, there's a site across the street that we'll take a look at as well. So we think the opportunity to move more Chipotle over the next three to five years is, uh, is is pretty encouraging. Jack, I also just have one bookkeeping question while I have you. You know, can, can you speak to labor costs? That there, there were 28.2 percent. You know, the implied labor dollars per store actually declined 90 basis points. It's obviously a very impressive dynamic when considering the investments that were made in supplementing team member wages as well as manager bonuses. Can you speak to some of the tail ends in the quarter to help better understand what is temporary and what is enduring within that favorable labor expense? Yeah, well, you know, listen, our, our labor as a percentage of sales was up, and it was up because we, you know, we, we had the assistance bonus and we had some discretionary bonuses for uh, our managers. But we had some stores that were closed for a while. We had lower sales. And so, um, you know, the, the labor hours we will schedule with lower sales is going to go down, and that might be why you're seeing a just lower absolute uh, number. When you look at the, just as a percentage of sales, about two-thirds of the increase as a percentage of sales was from the bonus and assistance pay. About one-third of it is uh, because of, of deleverage. Um, going forward, um, and the other piece that's in there, we, we have some labor efficiencies. You know, Scott and his team out in the field did a really good job uh, navigating, making sure we had um, the right number of people show up. You know, early on, that was hard to get the store staff. Our stores were staffed. They were efficient. Uh, when you see volumes move up and down, it's very hard to staff the store as well. Uh, but they did a great job. And I think part of that is also – we expected and we saw some efficiencies with the uh, digital make line as well. So now in terms of, you know, Andrew, what carries forward in terms of those efficiencies, some of that depends on how much of the business stays digital. If 50% of the sales stay digital or somewhere in that ballpark, let's say even 40%, some of those efficiencies will pass through too early to put a number on it yet. But um, I think our teams did a great job and, um, you know, to, to do an average of a million dollars and, in some cases, Brian alluded to it, $2 million and even greater on that digital make line, you know, with, with far fewer labor, just gives us, um, you know, a lot of optimism about what we can do in terms of sales and what we can do in terms of driving margin as well. That's helpful. Thank you, Jeff. The next question is from Lauren Silberman with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. 
Hi, thanks. I wanted to follow up on the commentary regarding the June AUV run rate of 2-2 and 20% restaurant margin. The 200 basis points differential from the framework, is it primarily driven by delivery costs or are there any other costs to consider? And then is there any offsetting benefit from a shift to the more margin accretive order ahead occasions? You know, the, the biggest piece is delivery for sure. Um, there is some other pressure. Um, you know, beef was a little bit of pressure. Uh, our customers buying more more beef was a little pressure. And we're selling fewer drinks. And so, you know, drinks are very accretive to margins, and we're selling fewer of them. So there's other things that were in there. But by far the biggest piece, the piece that we can act on is the delivery piece. We, we know that if delivery stays at this, um, you know, this current level, um, that, that the higher delivery fees is going to be a permanent impact on our margin. And that's why we're going to do some experimentation in Q3. The other pieces are going to work their way out. We do think that, especially with tractor beverages, we're going to sell uh, more beverages. We suspect that there will be some shift back, uh, you know, away from, from beef to other menu items. If, if not, we'll need to understand that a little bit more. But, but um, there are a number of things, but by far the delivery fees is the biggest piece. Great. And then with regards to the loyalty program now, it's 15 million members, one of the fastest, if not fastest, in restaurant history. What do you think is driving the outsized adoption at Chipotle? Is it faster than you originally expected? And then just thinking about the composition of the loyalty program members, what portion is light, medium, and heavy users? Yeah, so obviously the adoption of the rewards program has exceeded our expectations, and uh, it's gone really well. And uh, obviously the fact that so many people switched to our delivery and digital business over the last couple of months uh, really enabled us to get people to engage in the rewards program. The thing that has been uh, really refreshing is a lot of folks that have joined our rewards program have been new users or light users. And so, uh, you know, we're already using um, these customer journeys to start influencing behaviors so that, you know, we can have them be a more frequent customer. And uh, I think that's going to prove to be a nice tailwind for us in the future because I don't think we're done at 15 million. I think 15 million is going to become, you know, 20 million and so on and so forth. And as every day goes by, we learn more and more on how to use that data to better influence light, medium, and heavy users' uh, behavior. Any color on, I guess, the magnitude of light, medium versus heavy users within the program? You know, we, we haven't broken that out. Um, so, you know, what I can tell you is we're really pleased with the mix that we're seeing of light, medium, and heavy users. All right. Thanks very much. Mm -hmm. The next question is from Chris Carrill with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, uh, thanks for taking the question. So I, I wanted to ask about how you're thinking about store formats going forward. So clearly the current environment's validating the opportunity with Chipotle's, but are you rethinking at all any other aspects of the restaurant, perhaps around how much in-restaurant seating is necessary going forward? Um, and do you think there's an opportunity to drive new uh, restaurant returns even higher by contemplating these uh, different formats? Well, what I will definitely tell you is we are testing different formats, uh, you know, whether it's a um, restaurant that is a Chipotle only to a restaurant that's all order ahead with a Chipotle access point. Um, so we're going to test various formats because our goal is to have a suite of assets that we can then put into a trade area to maximize Chipotle sales out of that trade area. 
Um, so, you know, uh, the good news is uh, we're seeing these access points all to be truly viable, and uh, I feel like we've got, you know, terrific flexibility in what we want to build, whether it's inline, traditional Chipotle's, all the way to, you know, the freestanding Chipotle. Um, we've got a lot of flexibility in between those two, uh, call it, you know, bookends. So, uh, and we're going to continue to experiment with what are the, you know, the sites we can put Chipotle in that maybe historically we would have said, nah, you know, we can't put a Chipotle there, but now we can because we've got this different uh, execution and also the scale of our digital business, which supports the additional access points. Jack, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. No, I, 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 I couldn't agree more, Brian. I, I think this pull forward of the digital business uh, is already allowing us to look in additional trade areas, and you can flex the investment, and you can flex the, the size and the access points within the restaurant. And so, um, but we're going to be thoughtful, like we've done with anything, and take a stage gate type approach. So, um, you'll see some different formats come out, and then when they do well, you'll see more of them. Great, that's really helpful. Thank you. This concludes our question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Brian Nickel for any closing remarks. All right, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for taking the time to uh, listen and ask questions. Obviously, uh, we are very proud of all of our employees, uh, the way that they have managed um, the business, the way that they've taken, you know, high, high importance on the safety of themselves and their customers. Um, very fortunate to be a part of this company and leading this company of so many talented leaders so many talented people that are so committed to Chipotle's purpose and uh, really honored to be where we are with the Chipotle business. I, obviously, we're very proud of the investments we've made in digital and how that has played out for us over the last couple months. I'm very optimistic about how the Chipotle business with now the combination of a very robust digital business combined with great culinary, great speed, uh, and just tremendous value is gonna play out in the future. And uh, we're very optimistic about what the future holds, both for the health and well-being of everybody in this country, and then obviously the health and well-being of Chipotle, uh, both the people that work in it and the business that we're going to lead going forward. So thank you for taking the time, and I uh, look forward to speaking with you all soon. Take care. Bye. The conference is now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect.